Good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be in the Lord's house, and it's a blessing to still have the privilege of the liberty and freedom to do so. First of all, I want to wish all the mothers and the mothers in Israel, those among God's people, a, a happy Mother's Day. Uh, you know, our mothers are a blessing from the Lord, one that oftentimes we take for granted. But if you have a mother uh, and she raised you and she loved you, you have received a great blessing in your life. Now, I know there are some in, in the world and in this life that uh, did not have that experience, but I believe the majority of folks had mothers that loved them and cared. Now, that doesn't mean that mom was perfect. Uh, none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But oftentimes, uh, those who didn't have a perfect biological mother have found someone in this world, whether it be a, a, a near kinsman, as we'll look at over in the, in the book of Ruth, somebody close or a friend or some acquaintance that has become a mother or a like, like a mother to them. So... Thank God for your mother. Thank God for the blessing of mothers and, and the church. And if the Lord would bless us this morning, we're going to speak some in that direction. But I want to talk about love and how that uh, applies to the circumstances in which we're seeing. We're told in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, we live in one of the most, or in the most highly advanced time in the history of the world. We have cell phones and computers and we Facebook and we Skype and we do all these things. And it's hard to, to love someone indeed at a distance. And I believe the Bible talks a lot about this. But, but, but due, due to circumstances of life and the way we live, that, that's how we evolved. You know, uh, we call that love. But here it says that there's more to love than just saying it. You know, it's easy to pick up the phone or call, text, tell somebody how much you love them. But it takes a whole lot more to show them. Back some 20-something years ago in my life, there was a, man that helped me in the most difficult times in my life in Alton. He's now passed on to be with the Lord. But I got to going with him in a number of places down into Lubbock, and one place he took me on a number of occasions was a place where there were unwed mothers, children. These mothers didn't have the money to take care of themselves, and it was hard to go on. You know, it's a problem that exists today, and you understand what's going on in, in that area. But the little name of this place that we went to, it was over here just off of east of University. I couldn't probably find it. It was called Love in Action. That was, that was the name. And the failure to love folks and act upon your love has been a, uh, I believe, a failure of, of the immediate family, the extended family, and even the church family. I mean, as our, our love is the greatest thing the world has ever known. It is like the glue and the bond that ties us together. And the Bible tells us that God didn't only love us, he loved us with an everlasting love. He said, the Lord hath appeared unto me, this is to Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord hath appeared unto me of old, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and with loving kindness have I called thee. He was loved long before Jesus Christ came to this earth and done anything. 
God loved him when he formed him in the womb. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 1. I mean, you just can't. The language is very simple and very plain. He loved him. But you know, Jeremiah was a sinner just like you and I are. And for him to be redeemed of his sins, he had to have a redeemer. He couldn't redeem himself. You know, there's a song we didn't sing this morning called Redeeming Love. That's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a very familiar verse is verse uh, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the best that he had. The problem that I have in life, and probably a lot of God's children is, is giving the best I have. Making the sacrifice. You know, I've made a lot of sacrifices to obtain what I want. And that's a problem that we all have. We, we've never in the world had a lack of loving ourselves. It's unfortunate in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it talks about the last days. Peerless times shall come. Some people say, well, you know, I don't want to hear that preached. Uh, that's not real positive. But you know, the Apostle Paul said, I shun not to declare all the counsel of God. A lot of them are shunning the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And they're not preaching the things that need to be preached. Things have changed and truths need to be declared. Truths need to be declared. Love is the greatest thing this world has ever known. And how we manifest that love is extremely important. Most of us know that there has been a decline among Christians in this country or God's people over the last 50 years. It's just been kind of a continued line down. The light of Christianity does not shine with the brightness it shined when I was a kid. I know. I remember. God has at least given me the blessing to remember what it was like back in those days. Things have changed. Things have changed, and I don't believe for the better. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 also that men shall wax worse and worse. That's what God said, not what Brother Kenny said. That's not what I'm declaring. God declared it, and I... I can look out upon the horizon of this world and I can declare unto you that God speaks the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, whether we agree with it, whether we want to follow it, uh, doesn't change it. God's truth will stand forever. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Why? Because the truth will never fail. There's an outright attack on the truth in this land in which we live today. The moral truth. You know, I'm not arguing about the truth of salvation by grace versus some other opinion. I'm talking about the immorality that we see in the country. There's an attack on the truth of God's moral law. God's moral law. This is nothing new. We'll try to shift gears in, in a little bit and get back over. In Isaiah chapter 30. We find a time that the descendants of the children of Israel, this is why I love to study the Old Testament so much, because it is more in line with God's people today and how they live life, how they think. You know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. The way we think and the way we act and our behavior, it doesn't matter if you've got automobiles that are great and glorious and big old fine homes. Bible even addresses that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says those things cause you to forget the Lord thy God. But needless to say... There's nothing new under the sun. These are descendants of those who were crossed over into the promised land, as the Bible teaches us, the land of Canaan that flowed with milk and honey. We get to verse 30, and he's talking about these descendants. Woe to this rebellious children, saith the Lord, 
that take counsel, but none of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Now, I don't need many verses. It's not my subject this morning, but in verse 10 it says, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. You know, I don't believe that we have fallen probably to the condition these folks are in, but I can say today, if you look out at what's going on, we're very well headed that way. He says, prophecy not unto us right things, the truth. Don't, don't tell us the truth, we won't hear it. We've got no use for it. We don't want to hear about God's moral truth or any other thing about God. But it gets worse. Speaking to us smooth things, prophecy deceits, preaching to us lies, things that will fill our ears, tingle our, ourselves, and, and make us feel good. You know, uh, the prosperity doctrine is one of them. There's nothing wrong with being happy and having some prosperity. But to shun all the rest of the, uh, the, of the Bible is wrong. You see, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, not that the Scriptures will make you a man of God, but the man of God may be truly or perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Scriptures are given to the man of God, to the heaven-born, heaven-bound child of God. And we're to use them as a, uh, a manual, if you would, to live life to the honor and glory of Almighty God. That's what we're to do. Prophesy unto us, preach unto us things that are not true. Notice what it says in verse 11. I hope, we'd never, I, hope I don't live to see this day, but uh, this day happened in, in the Bible. It could happen again. You know, if we fail to learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. I think that's kind of what's happening. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Can you imagine getting so deplorable, I guess you'd call it, or in such a wreck? That you don't want God anywhere to exist? Well, you know, there's some people in this country in some certain states that I won't mention that are already pushing for that. This is not uncommon to mankind. They're, if they could destroy the Word of God, they would. I mentioned a few Sundays ago in, in California, I'll bring this up, in the state legislature. It was brought up in 2018 to ban the Bible in the state of California because it didn't agree. The Bible didn't agree with the lifestyles that they wanted to lead out there, so they wanted to ban it. Aren't you thankful that God promised to preserve his word? It wasn't based upon where man could keep it flowing. We'll have God's word because God is the keeper of his word, the preserver of his word. So as we see a condition there, we see a condition that has failed, and I want to kind of touch on that and then get into a little bit more about love. In the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God created man. He took of the dust of the earth, of his creation, he formed man, and he gave him the name of Adam. Then he caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam and took from Adam's side a rib and made a woman. And Adam called her woman. So we have a man and a woman. God made them male and female. We live in a time now that that's absolutely uh, being argued that that doesn't exist, that that's not right. Uh, they're trying to destroy, if you would, the truth of God. They won't, but they're trying. They're making the greatest effort they can to destroy the absolute truth of Almighty God. But God is the keeper of his words, and I stand to sure he will not destroy it. But you, you see it. We're all aware of it. It's not, if you don't know that's happening today, it's because you've closed your eyes and your ears and you refused to have any knowledge of what's going on. 
It's being pushed upon our children in the school systems. Not necessarily here in Lubbock, Texas, maybe where we live, but around the nation it is. Uh, you can read about it all the time. That, that is absolutely going on. He told this man and woman when they got to a certain age that they were to leave home, they were to unite in marriage. Another truth, marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the end of that story, and I won't say any more, but that's what God ins instructed us. It's between a man and a woman. And they begin to have children. And this is what I call the immediate family. It's an amazing thing if you just think about it. God established his family long before the worship service or the government or anything else. That right there ought to tell us a great deal about what's wrong in the country. In this country today, they're out to destroy the family as God laid it out, as the example that God laid out. They are. Even the rulers of our government, many of them are out to destroy the family. That's Satan's desire, to destroy the family because he knows when the family's unified and when the family's operating according to the example that God gave us, he doesn't have a chance. But the family's being destroyed, and it's unfortunate. It's been going on for a long time. It, it, these things didn't happen yesterday. They didn't happen overnight. They've been subtle. You know, Satan's just that way. He's very subtle. He changes our minds. He wants to draw us away from the Lord. Paul said, be not conformed to this world. But most of us, unfortunately, including myself, I spent most of my life spending too much time conforming to the world. I liked what was out in the world. I wanted what was out in the world, and I was willing to conform to it. I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice he spoke of there in the prior verse. But as I've gotten older and stated many times, my view of life is not what it once was, thank God. Uh, I've gotten older, and I don't want to go back and, and relive it and redo it. But beyond that immediate family is what I call the extended family. You know, uh, Families grow, and I think in the Old Testament, one of the greatest importances we ever see, we see in there is these families stayed close-knit and together. You see, the love in word and deed means to do something. You know, I'm going to use my wife as an example. She probably doesn't like this, but I'm going to use it anyway because she's one of the greatest examples that I know of, not the only. But for many years, many She's seen her grandmother every day because she loved her. She didn't call her. She loved her. She was there for her. She, didn't live, she just lived down the road from school there in Olton. Now, there was some years in there when she was, her grandmother was younger, but, I mean, she was faithful as she could be. Uh, nowhere else she'd rather be, and she wouldn't change it for anything she could be given in the world. Being there meant something. Love needs to be manifested, not only in the immediate family, but in the extended family. And the third family that I hadn't mentioned, but I'll go ahead and mention, is the family of God. And when we talk about the family of God, I'm not talking about the universal family, God's, God's people all over the world. He has a people in every kindred, tongue, people and nation around the world. But of the local church where, or the local assembly where they meet together, you know, I told you about Facebook and texting and all these things. It's, it's easy to tell someone you love them. It's a lot harder to show them. It takes a sacrifice. Suzanne made this sacrifice. 
and she's making it now for her mother. And, and she wouldn't have it any other way. It's just the way life is. It's, it's the pattern that God called upon us to, to, to do and to handle and take care of. It really is. You know, she's now a grandmother, and, and she wants to do all she can for her children. Mothers are, are the greatest blessing that we ever known. You know, God loved us with an unconditional love. Unconditional. It wasn't based on your good behavior because if it had been, we'd all be going to where we deserve. Every one of us. None of us have behaved well enough to say, I'm ready and I, and I can enter to heaven. We hadn't. Even if we straighten up our act down the road in life, well, what do we do with all that garbage behind? That's, that's my life. I can't get rid of it. I can't pay for it. I can't redeem myself. But back to the mothers and the grandmothers. There's a close example in, example in my mind uh, of unconditional love. Their love is not to the extent of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's far closer than most men. And I'm not here to step on men's feet. I'm sorry. I know some men are... are more loving and more kind, but there's nothing like the love of a mother. One great example we have, and, and like I said, I'm skipping around. I'm not going to go and read a lot of things. Is when Solomon was granted all this wisdom from God, the wisest man that ever lived. One of the wisest stories that I've ever read. I mean, it's just an amazing. There was two women that lived together, and both of them had a child. They were infants. One night, one of the women rolled over on their infant, and smothered it, and the child died. And while the other woman was yet asleep with her child, she went over and traded the children. The mother that was of the live child knew it. So they were brought both. These two women were brought before Solomon. And Solomon had a remedy for the problem. He said, bring me a sword, and I'll cut this child in half, and I'll give one half to the, you and one half to the other woman. And the mother of the living child said, no, it's hers. She can have, and he knew right then who the mother was. That's how much that mother loved that young child. Enough to give it away, to keep it alive. But Solomon had the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of Christ. He wasn't that wise, but he was the wisest man that's ever lived or ever will live according to the word of God. So mothers are very instrumental. I call them the glue that keep the families together. They're, they're everything uh, that they could be. And, and, and a mother's love and a grandmother's love often extends far beyond uh, their immediate family. You know, like I said, that's just Suzanne's nature. She took care of her grandma. She was always there for her. That, that's loving indeed. Uh, you know, it, like I said, it's easy to... FaceTime and call them up on the phone, tell them how much you love them. But it's a lot harder to do something for them. Now, she was closer to her grandma than she is her mother, but she can be there in, in a little of no time, and she would be. I mean, she's there. She's going to be there for as long as she lives upon this earth. That's what we call manifesting the love of God. We know that the family... As the family goes and as the love of God is manifest in these families will dictate how our nation, our churches, and everything else go. It was, it was the first thing God established. And if our families are destroyed, if we fail to have any interaction, manifest our love even to our extended family. You know, here a few weeks ago was my mom's birthday, and my cousin that this lives up the road spent many, many years with, rarely see, once, twice a year, if that much, 
I just thought, what a shame. God tells us there's strength in families. You know, when Abraham uh, begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob. And in the story of Joseph that we've been looking at on Wednesday nights, you know, Joseph had a, had, didn't have the best, best of luck, if you want to call it that. But the Lord was with him, and he always obeyed the Lord, and, and he prospered. But he delivered 70 souls. That was his family. But them 70 souls of, of them children of Jacob were all in Canaan. Children, grandchildren. They were together because of strength. God knew it. When we get together in the church, it's strength. You know, since the pandemic has happened, many of them say, well, I'll stay home and I'll watch it. Friends, you can't manifest your love to someone down the road. It lives over there 100 miles from you. You can't do it. You may do it to please you. That's what we do. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We've always loved ourselves more than anyone else because we know that because that's, we, we do what we want. We do our own will. That's a, that just teaches us that we're... Loving ourselves more than God. God said to assemble. He commanded us to do that. Why? There's strength in manifesting your love one to another in the church. In the assembly. We show our love to one another. We care for one another. We mourn with one another. We rejoice with one another. God didn't do that to, to make you have to get up and not get some extra sleep. Or just to have something else to do. There was a benefit. There was a blessing that should come from it. Even that is not what it once was. Any of you that went to the old Baptist church all your life, you know that now. We, we don't have that fellowship and we don't have that togetherness. We don't manifest the love that we did 40 or 50 years ago. It's just different. Why is it? Because the world. We can't get beyond the world. We can't be separate. We can't come out from among them and be different. We wonder why God hadn't heard from heaven, forgiven our sin and healed our land. I know why, because we just can't turn. We, we can't think outside the box. The world is strong. You know, we get back over here, and I'll go back over, and I'll run out of time here to keep going on. In Romans chapter 5, we'll read verse 4, and, and, and well, let's just read these real quick. Therefore, being justified, verse 1, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God, not based upon yourself but upon Jesus Christ by whom we have access by faith into his grace wherein we shall stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and not only so but we glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation worketh patience causes us to endure and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God what is hope the child of God has something that's called hope it's not some kind of wish it's not wishing you won the lottery it's called an earnest expectation. In your heart and soul, you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that he is the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh. And you believe that one day, I don't know when that day will be, but one day, without doubt, he's coming back to gather up his people and take them home to live with him forever. That's the hope that we have. It says, and hope maketh not ashamed. We're not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm surely not. We should never be ashamed. We should stand out and declare that truth every opportunity that we get. We shouldn't bow it down on people, but we should stand for the truth. Things that are wrong are wrong. We're not to fire, uh, hit them. We're not to, to get into warfare with them. 
But we're to state the truth. We're to stand for the truth. God's truth needs to be stood for. But it goes on here. Notice, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Colossians 1 and 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Spirit of God dwells within God's children. We have a power in us that's greater than that power that's out here in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Question is, are we manifesting that love according to the pattern that God told us? In our immediate family, in our extended families, and in our church families. Are we doing that? Are we doing it through deed? Like I said, it's easy to text, I love you. It's easy to call them up and FaceTime, I love you. But friends, God's love went beyond that. What did they do for the prior thousands of years up to the 30, 40 years? They didn't even have that stuff when I was a kid. I mean, it hadn't been around that long, but it's become a way of life. A lot of things have become a way of life in this country since I was a kid. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart. You have the power within you to manifest that love, to do it in deed. Not just in word and in tongue, but in deed. And that's hard to do if we're not where we can. If we're not in the house of the Lord when that time comes. It's hard to manifest your love to one another. To help one another. God says it's a great strength and it's a strength that we need. And yet we see not only the immediate family being destructed, destroyed. We'd see the extended family, I believe, being destroyed for numerous reasons. Lack of time, too busy, chasing the rabbits of the world and the things that we want so bad. And the church family, the destruction of the church family. We're all watching it in real time. It's happening, and it's no accident. God told us how to fix it. God, God he gives us reproof. Four things that the scriptures give us is doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Reproof is nothing more than a declaration of the truth. Correction is a way to turn from it, it's repentance. God calls upon his people to repent. He says, I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land and I guarantee you, and I don't make many guarantees, but I promise you that God will honor his promise if we do what he said. But as it was of old time, that hadn't been done very often. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, it again talks about this power that dwells in you as a child of God. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The desires of the flesh is what it's talking about. The things of this world, oh, they're so appealing, aren't they? So wantful. It's, it's hard not to be like everybody else. I mean, the herd mentality is great in the land, even among God's children. It's been great with me in my lifetime. I'm not proud of it, but I'm honest about it. Uh, it the world got a hold of me, too. And as I look back, if I could change one thing, that's the one thing that I would change. He says, for the child of God, there's a constant warfare that will go on in your life. 
from the time you're born of God's Spirit to the time you close your eyes on this earth and go home to be with the Lord. It's a war. The flesh against the Spirit, and they're contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. That tells me that if we're not yielding to the Spirit, if the Spirit is not leading our life, you see, the love of God was shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost which was given unto you and hopefully unto me and each and every one of his children. It was given. Now it's on our part to manifest that love. Indeed, and in truth, not just in word and tongue. It's, it's so easy to do, and it's even got far easier to do than it used to be because of all the technology we have. Just like being there, isn't it? <laughs> At least that's what they say. But we need to be together. You know, within sitting distance sometimes. We need, we, need to, we need to talk face to face. You know, my oldest son said one time we're all going to sit down in the living room. We're just going to text back and forth. We won't ever speak. It's about how it gets sometimes. You know, I mean, it's interaction. And the family being together is something that God said was a great strength to his family. And it's something that we need. And it's being destroyed. I'll argue with you today. That's exactly where we are this this country and this world is attacking the family. And it's really been attacking it for a lot longer than just the last couple of years. It's been subtle and it's been slow. They knew if they could get, Satan knew if he could get a hold of the minds of the young people, he'd get what he wanted. You know, just like it was with Job, he couldn't take Job's eternal life from him. God wouldn't allow him to take his life. But he sure did wreak havoc on that man, didn't he? That just shows you the power that, God can, uh, that Satan can have in your life. And he's had it in a lot of the Lord's children's life. It goes on and says, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the first thing it says is love. So if you're manifesting that fruit of love because the Holy Ghost has been spread abroad in your heart by, the, uh, uh, by God himself, you have the means within you to manifest that love. God's not going to leave you destitute. You know, he fed the sparrows and they don't even sow together. You think, he says, we're much more important. He said, I'll not let you go destitute. Love is an amazing thing. It is the greatest thing and it is the glue. And thank God for our mothers because they manifest it more times than not, far greater than us fathers and, and, and us men do. You know, they're more tender with their children and concerning with their children and I mean it, it should be that way they're with them far more in the young years when they're growing up I want to look at one instance of love and we'll probably close with this it's it's in the book of Ruth and we've preached on this many times and I'm going to look at some bad things that went bad for this family and yet out of it comes a great story of love that you can't take far. And it should say a lot to us about what I consider the beginnings of our extended family. In the book of Ruth, there, this took place in the time of Judges when there was no king in Israel and every man done that that was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine that such a society or time when there's no king and there's no rule, there's no authority? Every man done that which was right in his own eyes. Well, we got a lot of that. At least a lot of people have that ideology they think that if I want to do it it 
it's all right. There's nothing wrong with it. They'll even declare it not to be a sin because they want to do it. Now it begins in verse 1. It says, And now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, and there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. God oftentimes sent famine in the land in the Old Testament because he was judging his people because of their disobedience. They had slipped away. They had backslidden. And Bethlehem, Judah was in the land that flowed with milk and honey, but God sent a famine. And I don't care how good your land is and how productive your land is. If God sends the right kind of famine, uh, things are going to get difficult. When God sends a famine of any kind, things are going to get difficult. Amos talks about a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. I believe be the greatest famine that any of us could ever. There's going to be a famine. Not, not, uh, you're not going to be able to hear the word of the Lord preached or, or otherwise. It was in the day of Amos. But this famine was in the land and so... Instead of Amalek waiting, or Elimelech, waiting on the Lord to, do, uh, uh, to bless him or, or to send him somewhere, he was like Abraham was. There was a time that Abraham, uh, there was a famine. And so he decided to take matters into his own hands and he went down into Egypt. And he got himself into a lot of trouble, but that's what he did. Anyway, they went over into the land of Moab. The Moabites are descendants of Lot. And the Moabites are descendants of Lot when he was in a cave at the end of his life. This righteous man, Lot, the Bible tells us that in 2 Peter, his daughters gave him a bunch of wine two nights in a row. He got drunk and they both become pregnant by their father. The Moabites is the descendant of the oldest daughter and her dad. Uh, it doesn't sound very good for a man's ending, but that was pretty much the end of the story of Lot. And there's a lot more to be said about Lot, in, even in the New Testament. But anyway, he sojourned into this land, into Moab. And shortly after he got there, Elimelech died. And that was the first thing that went wrong. Verse 4, it says, And they, talking about his sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. They were married about ten years to Naomi's two sons. And Maon and Shalon, I probably butchered those, died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So they ventured into this land. The husband died pretty quick. Ten years later, after the women had married, they both, uh, both of the, their husbands died. So Naomi sits there with no husband and no sons. It's, it's a tragic thing. You know, some people ask me, if, if you know when God is chastening, you know, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that he receiveth. I can't tell you. Uh, the, the only one that can tell you that is you yourself. But Naomi said this. She said in verse 13, Would you tarry for them? Let's get down to the end. For your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. I know Naomi thinks this, thinks that God's hand's against her. You know, he died. And I was reading a commentary, and I'll read it right quick, on verse 3 about 
Elimelech said, he left in the time of a famine. He left his own land and he never returned. It says sometimes that's our lot in life. We leave where we should be. Things happen. Sometimes we don't wait on the Lord. We don't believe the Lord can bless us where we are. That's what the man said. Not, not what I said. But Nevertheless, they took their journey out of their own land from among their own people. You know, when I talked about that extended family, the children of Israel represented the church. The chosen people of God represented the church symbolically. And God told them not to marry outside the church. They did it anyway. Men have always thought their ideas and their ways were better than God's ways. God's ways are perfect, but we're, we're inclined to do what Elvis Presley said or Frank Sinatra, do it my way. I did it my way. We're going to do it my way. Uh, and a lot of times when we do it our way, it's not the right way, or at least in my case, it, it wasn't. But anyway, these sons died, and, and this, these, uh, the dad died, so Naomi's left there as a widow woman with, with no husband and no sons and two daughters-in-laws. Anyway, we'll kind of move on for time. It says in verse 9, The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you. Naomi began to plead with these two women to go back to their mothers in the land of Moab, to their mother's household, and eventually find them husbands. She, she tried time and time again to do this. And they said unto her, in verse 10, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Well, one of them does, and that's Ruth. Reminds me a lot of when Peter said to the Lord, I'll go even with you unto death. And the Lord said, You will deny me three times before the cock crows. You'll deny me. Sometimes we think we're going to do something, and we have a hard time doing it actually fulfilling it. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that you may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. She keeps on. Turn back. Go back home. See, she had heard here after her sons died that there was wheat in the land, that God had visited the children of Israel and, and he's given them bread. There was a famine. and It was a time that it was hard when they left. Anyway, he says, turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they are grown? Been a long time, wasn't it? Been a lot of difference in age, for sure. Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, nay, she said. Naomi answered for him. My daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. This is the first indication that Naomi believed that she was under the judgment hand of the Lord. No doubt when they left their homeland, the land that God had brought them into, that the decision to leave wasn't just her husband's. Apparently she had part on it, part of it too, because she believes that God is against her, his hand. His hand of judgment. And she, uh, in verse 14, And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth claved unto her. And we're going to get down here to one of the most interesting stories, I think, of love that you see in all the Bible. Some people quote it in a marriage, but really this is between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. 
And he said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods, little g. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. She's done everything she can to persuade Ruth to go the way of her sister-in-law. Go home. I've got nothing to offer. I've got nothing left. I'm going to go back to my homeland. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. You know what she was saying there? Quit trying to convince me not to go with you. Please. There's something special here. First of all, Ruth is a child of God without doubt. Ruth, a Gentile, born of the Spirit of God, no doubt. Go to Matthew chapter 1 and read the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another love story that goes on a little bit later in this book between Ruth and Boaz, a near kinsman. Picture the Lord Jesus Christ, if you would, in his church. A groom and his bride. But needless to say, they're both in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1. You don't have to read down too many verses to get that. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. She loved Naomi more than she loved her own mother. I don't know why that was, but that's the way this was. Maybe because she had dealt so kindly with her husband and with her sons. But she loved Naomi. But I believe there was more to it. I believe her heart had been touched by sovereign grace. We'll see it here in a minute. For where thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. She didn't care where Naomi was going. She didn't want to lose her. She didn't want to be separated from her. Because something had happened in that relationship for those 10 years that she was married to the sons that could never be taken away from Ruth. And she loved Naomi so much that she didn't even want to go back to her own family. Like I said, I don't have a lot of history of her family. She says, thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God, capital G. You tell me that lady wasn't born of the Spirit of God, had been touched by sovereign grace, that the love of God had not been shed abroad in her heart by the Holy Ghost. That's what happened, just like it does to every one of us. And she was manifesting that love indeed. As a matter of fact, if you read the rest of this beautiful book, you will find out that she went out and gleaned the fields of Boaz to help support her mother-in-law and to take care of them and to feed them. And this grand love story evolves from there. Thy God shall be my God. You know, she was like an infant. The Bible tells us that when you're born of the Spirit of God, you're like a little child. They can't walk or talk, can't do anything. They need nourished. But she was willing to go with Naomi, and she was willing to be nourished in the truth of Almighty God. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught, but death part thee and me. This is the story or the testimony of a young lady who had been the daughter-in-law and still was, but for 10 years when Naomi's son was living. There's no question that Naomi done for this daughter-in-law 
probably more than her mother done for her. Something special went on there. The other sister-in-law went back. She wept. She was sad. But I'll tell you, this was, this was a, a picture of love. It was deeds that were performed by a lady that she went with her wherever she went. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Naomi quit trying to convince her. She decided it. Ruth was going with her, and wherever she went, whatever land she lived in, she's going to be there with her. So they two went, and <clears throat> so that they two went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, "Is this Naomi?" She came back by herself, and she said unto them, "Call me not Naomi." Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. You think she felt that the hand of God and the hand of judgment hadn't been upon her? But out of a bad situation comes one of the most beautiful pictures of love that we ever see. I want you to think about the pollution and the corruption of sinners. One of the most beautiful stories you'll ever see is the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for sinners was crucified for sinners, rose for their justification, and one day, I promise you, we're going to live in heaven with him because of his everlasting love for each and every one of us. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. That can come in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways. You know, the rebel son in Luke chapter 14 he wanted the world so bad, he couldn't stand it. And so he took what the Father gave him, and he went out had a great time. Just lived it up, done everything he could. And when he was emptied out, the Lord emptied his tank, if you would, just like running out of gas. He returned back. He said, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. That's going out full and coming back empty. But I'm going to tell you what's important there. The Lord brought him back. Because the Lord, they belong to the Lord. They were redeemed and paid for by the redeeming love of the Lord Jesus Christ. A love that mothers more often imitate to their children and their grandchildren. And in this case, to their daughter-in-law. We don't see a lot of these stories about that kind of love in the Bible apart from Jesus Christ. You know, one of the saddest stories is over in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when... Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me for the love of this present world. I'm telling you, the world is a strong, has a strong pull on all of us. That's what Satan wants. He wants to distract us from the Lord in every way that he can. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing that the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? She was very convinced, whether you and I are not, that God had brought her under judgment. Her sons were dead. Her husband was dead. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. We're going to stop there, make a few comments, and we'll end. Like I said, you continue to read this story. 
how Boaz told those that were gleaming or harvesting the wheat to leave some of it behind. It turns out that Ruth is out gleaming these fields and it's taken care of her and her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law was old. She already mentioned that. You know, that's why I said something about a lot of women, not just Suzanne. It was just an example that I'm very familiar with of being there day in and day out. That's the way she manifests her love. And that's the way we all ought to manifest our love. It's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We have a power within us that's above anything we can even believe. Somebody says, well, I can't love them like that. The Lord says you can love your enemies. You, you can bless them that curse you. You can do good unto them that hate you. We, we, we have a power to a, a lot greater than the flesh that we wear. But we've got to exercise it. We've got to walk and live in the spirit if we're going to exercise that power. That was a great picture of love. Remember, love your family, your extended family, and your church family in deed and in truth, not just in word and in tongue. May God rest us in my prayer.